Hi, and welcome to Ways to Wellbeing with Sue Fullergood. You're listening to your Route to Wellbeing podcast. This podcast aims to share strategies, nuggets, and tools which will inspire and support you as you step boldly towards creating the well-being that you desire and deserve. Each week, I want to share insights and inspiration from different people with expertise across one or more of the 11 different domains of well-being. Each one of our guests has found clues through their lives and their careers and knowledge that we want you to have access to. The question is, how can we all pulse with energy and live while we're alive? I believe that these people that I am lucky enough to talk to have some of the answers. So tune in, relax, and listen up. Thank you for listening in. Good morning. I'm Sue Fullergood from the Energy Incubator, and I'm so excited this morning to have with me Professor Derek Roll who um, is the distinguished professor, now that he's retired, in the Division of Endocrinology in the Faculty of Health Sciences at WITS. And uh, actually, I'm really lucky because he is a school friend of my partner. And so I got uh, a chance to meet this distinguished gentleman, uh, even though um, you know, normally people wouldn't get to meet such a person. So, and he was really willing to come and share his expertise with us today. So we we're super lucky. Um, Professor Raul is an expert in hypercholestremia um, and uh, is head of the Department of Lipidology, as, as I understand it. Is that correct to say? Oh, that's correct, and, Sue. Yeah, lipidology is a big word for, for all the different types of fats that are in the body, which, and the most important of which is cholesterol. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So um, I really think that if we can get to understand what's in, um, and I'm going to call him for now, Derek's head, um, we will understand a lot better how we can eat and take care of ourselves so that we can live better and live longer, which is what we're all about at the Energy Incubator. This podcast is all about your route to well-being, and so if we can have this information, we'll be clearer on how to take ourselves on the route to well-being. So welcome, um, Derek. It is really a treat to have you here, and I would love to hand the microphone to you um, and ask you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path so that uh, we can all understand a little bit how you got to be uh, the expert that you are today. Well, interestingly, neither of my parents were in medicine. So my father was a physicist and my mother a chemist. But I always wanted to do medicine from a very young age. From when I was at school, it just always interested me. And particularly um, the field called endocrinology, which is how all your hormones, et cetera, work. So I did my all my training at WITS. Um, I did my basic training at WITS. And then I decided to specialize in medicine. Um, which is takes a long time at medicine is seven years to specialize another four and then to super specialize in in what we call endocrinology and when i just started in endocrinology one of the fields in endocrinology um, at our at the johannesburg hospital we run a lipid clinic which is a cholesterol clinic we can call it that and i saw a, a young patient a little 10 year old boy um, who had a condition called homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia so 
that's a condition where you've inherited cholesterol from both your parents, your mother and your father. And the normal cholesterol level uh, in most of us that are healthy is around about five. If you have inherited cholesterol uh, from a single dose, your cholesterol is about twice normal, about 10. This little boy, because he had got it from both his parents, his cholesterol was more than four times normal. So it was about 28 millimoles per liter. Um, and I saw him at the clinic, a lovely little boy, thin, you know, healthy, didn't do any other the wrong things. And, but at that time, we had no treatment for this condition. We only had a powder. It was called Questran or cholestyrene, which was terrible to take. And unfortunately, he died about six months later when he was at um, swimming at school. He was uh, you know, a, a little gala and didn't make the other side. So he had a heart attack when he was about just, just, just under the age of 11. So that got me interested in the field of cholesterol and whether we could perhaps do something uh, sort of about this condition. So in the late 80s um, was when the drugs that we mainly use uh, for treating cholesterol, the statins, became available. So that was in about in South Africa, they became available in the late 80s, about like 1989. And in fact, those were the first medications that were able to lower the blood cholesterol level. Um, as you may well know, they're now the biggest drugs in the world. So there's more people on statins than any other medication uh, sort of on the planet. Because it's been shown in very, very large studies to reduce the risk of having a heart attack or a stroke or et cetera. Um, there's a lot of controversy about uh, the use of statins, and many people say, I don't want to take pills for my cholesterol. Uh, but just to say a little bit more about uh, inherited cholesterol, um, what people forget, it's actually the most common inherited disease in the world. So around the world, about one in every 300 people have inherited cholesterol, what we call familial hypercholesterolemia. Um, so that is about 30 million people worldwide have this sort of condition. The problem with it is you are totally asymptomatic. You feel totally well, you can be slim, you can be exercising, you can be running the Comrades Marathon. So there's no symptoms of this condition until you drop dead from a heart attack. And that's one of the problems. Now, when I saw this little patient and I got interested in the condition, what we've subsequently discovered that in South Africa, in certain population groups, so in our white Africana population, our Indian population and our Jewish population, instead of one in every 300 people, that's about one in every 70 people have the condition. And we think the reason for that is, is what we call it, the polite word is a founder effect, but in the old days, it was a relatively small population group and like the Afrikaners married within you know, the, the Afrikaner population. And similarly, the Jewish population married. And in the Indian population, often there were arranged marriages. So the condition became much more common in those three population groups. So we see a lot of familial hypercholesterolemia in South Africa. Um, and it's really because of this condition that I know cholesterol is probably the major cause of early heart attack, what we call cardiovascular death. So just putting some numbers to it, you know, everyone's worried about, we're still in, at the end of the sort of COVID pandemic. 
And COVID worldwide has killed about 7 million people in the last three years since the onset of the COVID uh, pandemic. Cardiovascular disease kills about 21 million people every year. So uh, it's the much bigger cause of death, uh, cardiovascular disease. And the biggest risk factor for cardiovascular disease, number one, is cholesterol, uh, having a high cholesterol. The other are sort of partners in crime, such as diabetes, um, obesity or being overweight, smoking, having high blood pressure. But the pivotal factor is really cholesterol. So cholesterol causes a condition called atherosclerosis, which is basically cholesterol buildup in your arteries. Yeah, so we have actually a major problem, not only do we have a lot of inherited cholesterol, which on its own is a big problem, but in the general population, cholesterol is mainly dietary induced. And I think we need to talk really about what raises your sort of cholesterol sort of level, because in most of us that fortunately may not have an inherited cholesterol, it's mainly dietary. So if we started really at the beginning, so cholesterol is a building block for the human body. Um, it's present in every cell wall, in, every, in the membrane of every cell. We use cholesterol to make very important steroid hormones like female hormones, male hormones, cortisone, et cetera. That's a building block of the human body. It's also in bile salts, which help us digest food. So cholesterol is an essential component of, in fact, all animals. All animals have cholesterol. Plants don't have cholesterol. They have a different type of uh, sterol called, um, uh, it's a, a cytosterol, which is a plant sterol. But humans, it's an important building block. So the problem is when we have too much cholesterol. So um, in the old days, when we were hunter-gatherers, you know, living uh, um, as hunter-gatherers probably a couple of thousand years ago and we used to eat meat very infrequently and watch you know because with their food just wasn't available the average cholesterol in humans was in the region of three three to four millimoles but now with westernization and now that we have three meals a day and we've got fridges and we tend to eat much more than we should Cholesterol levels are near around about five. That's a total cholesterol. Uh, the problem is now with bad diets, etc. Cholesterols are going higher than five, um, and therefore our arteries are being exposed to more cholesterol than they should be. And particularly if you have other risk factors, for example, you smoke, you have diabetes, you have hypertension. Those combinations are the biggest cause of the major killer worldwide, uh, which is cardiovascular disease. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, so, no, I, it's vital that we know this because, uh, you know, as you say, we've made such a big hullabaloo about uh, COVID and yet, uh, you know, this problem is, is, is 50 times bigger and we're um, kind of sticking it under the carpet to a large degree. Sure. So that's one of the problems. And as I said, it's totally asymptomatic. So um, particularly in our country, because of inherited cholesterol, it's extremely important that you go and have a cholesterol measured at some stage. Because as I said, I mean, I've had friends and colleagues of, uh, in fact, uh, 
the partner, the husband of one of the girls that works for me has worked. He had, he had run 33 comrades um, and was running at Pirates and dropped dead um, at the age of about 60. And in retrospect, he almost definitely had inherited cholesterol. He hadn't smoked. He was normal weight. But unfortunately, this condition uh, is totally symptom-free. It's not like diabetes where you get symptoms. This condition is totally uh, symptom-free. So the only way you're going to know if you've got a high cholesterol is if you have it measured. And particularly if there's a family history, if you've got a mother or a father who's had an early heart attack um, or an early stroke, that's when you need to think about measuring your cholesterol levels. Yeah. So for the general population out there, first and foremost, when if you're found to have a high cholesterol, is, as you say, healthy living lifestyle change. So what has happened is the worldwide, the cholesterol levels, in, particularly in the Western world, have slowly increased. And that's because our diets have really changed. We eat too much. As you can see, there's the obesity epidemic. Everyone's getting fatter. There's, the obesity epidemic is driving diabetes, which is becoming more prevalent. But cholesterol levels are also starting to drift up. So the commonest cause of a high cholesterol is actually dietary in the population. And very important is to try and adjust your diet if you are found to have a high cholesterol level. So the saturated fats are the bad fats. Those are things like meats, butter, etc. And it's very important to try and reduce your saturated fats and to replace them with the healthier fats, which are the monounsaturates and polyunsaturates. The monounsaturates are mainly the fishes like salmon, tuna, the deep water fishes, avocados, nuts, etc. Polyunsaturates are, for example, the margarines, canola oil, etc. So, so it's extremely important to replace saturated fats with the healthy fats, which are the mono and polyunsaturated fats. Very importantly, is if you overweight, is also to try and lose weight, because that can help. Now, all those things together, unfortunately, uh, if your cholesterol is mainly dietary induced, you can lower it, but diet on its own only lowers cholesterol in the order of sort of five to 20%. And if you have inherited cholesterol, even if you live on lettuce leaves or thin exercise regularly, your cholesterol is set at twice it should normally be. So patients with inherited cholesterol, and if you don't respond to diet, we have to think about medications. And as I mentioned, the biggest drug at the moment for high cholesterol are drugs called the statins. Now, if you look, if you look at Google, Dr. Google, unfortunately, everyone says we shouldn't be taking statins. They're dangerous. They're bad for us. They tell us, you know, they make us forget things. Um, but they are remarkably safe drugs. Um, and in my experience, particularly these patients with inherited cholesterol, we've doubled their lifespans by using these sort of medications. So they do occasionally cause muscle aches and pains, um, problems with muscle stiffness, but in general, they're remarkably safe drugs. So despite all the negative media out there, if you have a cholesterol problem, and definitely, if you've had a heart attack or a stroke, you should be on these life-saving medications called statins. 
So that was one of the first drugs that became available for these young patients that I saw with familial hypercholesterolemia. But since then, there's many newer drugs that have become available, which work in different ways to sort of lower cholesterol levels. And I never thought in my lifetime that these young patients that have the double dose, the cholesterol levels of over 20, would be able to lower their cholesterol to essentially normal levels. So just if you look at it, um, you know, getting to 80 is probably a ripe old, you know, a good age to get to. If your cholesterol has been five your whole life, by the time you're 80 years old, your arteries would have been exposed to 80 times five, which is what we would call 400 cholesterol years. And uh, so if you've got the inherited cholesterol, the, the single dose, your cholesterol is twice normal, it's 10. So that means when you're 40 years old, your arteries have been exposed to the same amount of cholesterol as an 80-year-old healthy individual. That's why the average age of heart attack in a male with familial hypercholesterolemia is 41. The double-dose patients whose cholesterol is 20, when they're 20 years old, their arteries are already 80, if that makes sense. And that's why they have heart attacks as teenagers. The youngest patient I've seen had a heart attack when she was one year old, but I've seen several patients having heart attacks uh, and, and as teenagers and as adolescents. So in these patients, cholesterol medication is essential. What is also important is what we forget about, and unfortunately, um, many physicians practicing in our country also, you know, they treat the, the cardiologist, they treat the patient who's coming in with his heart attack, but they never think about taking a family history and checking the children. Because if you've got inherited cholesterol, half your children will, are going to get in, inherited from you. And we now recommend that we start treating the children from the age of eight to try and prevent this cholesterol buildup in the arteries. So there has to be increased awareness of cholesterol in the country. And it's extremely important that people have their cholesterol measured. As I think, I think it's the pivotal, most important risk factor for definitely for heart attack and for stroke, but it's not everything. As you said, we, if we think about health in general, um, you know, many people say, well, now I'm on a tablet for my cholesterol. I can eat what I want. I can drink as much as I want, etc., because I'm protected. Now that's not true. So I think it's extremely important that we uh, think about um, overall health and all the things that we can sort of get right. So in fact, the American Heart Association talks about life's essential eight, which is a healthy eating habit. Most important to cut back on the saturated fats to have that Mediterranean type of diet with poly and monounsaturated fats, regular physical activity, we should exercise uh, if not uh, four or five times a week daily. We should not smoke at all. There's no such thing as I'm a light smoker. We need to sleep uh, healthily, which, and most people recommend a minimum of seven hours a night. We have to obtain an optimal body mass index. In other words, our weight should be ideal for our heart. Uh, there are ways of working that out, but what I just tell my patients is take their height in centimeters. So if you're 178 centimeters tall, you take away the one and you should weigh 78 
kilograms, if that makes sense. If your height is 163 centimeters, you should weigh 63. You have to have an optimal lipid profile. Your cholesterol has to be normal. Your glucose should be normal and your blood pressure should be normal. And if you can stick to those sort of life's essential eight, your risk of cardiovascular disease will be reduced by like 90% or more. So extremely important to try and stick to those uh, essential eight in terms of uh, lifestyle. Derek, can I just ask you a few questions? One being, um, you, you know, there's a lot of talk about good and bad cholesterol and, right. and how important it is to have your good cholesterol um, high or at the right level. Um, can you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. So when we talk about cholesterol, there is what we call good and bad. So total cholesterol, the cholesterol in our circulation is made up of a bad cholesterol, which is what we call LDL cholesterol. And that's the cholesterol that deposits in our arteries. Uh, the good cholesterol is what we call HDL cholesterol. They're smaller particles and they um, involve in removing cholesterol from the arteries back to the liver. So they like taking the cholesterol back to the liver. So most important is to have a low bad cholesterol. The LDL should be as low as possible and the HDL should be as high as possible. Now, there have been previous studies with drugs that raise the good cholesterol, the HDL, but those have not been shown to reduce uh, heart attack or stroke. The best way to raise your HDL cholesterol is with diet, weight loss, and regular exercise. In other words, the HDL is a predictor of, um, of having a heart attack, but a low HDL is usually a marker of the metabolic syndrome of being overweight, of being a slouch potato and not exercising. The way to get up your HDL is weight loss, regular exercise, Women are relatively protected against heart disease because they have higher HDLs than men. But a high HDL on its own does not correct or doesn't neutralize a high LDL. The most important is to have a, is the LDL or the bad cholesterol. The ideal LDL cholesterol is three or below. You have to have an LDL below three. And that's often a problem in women they say, okay, I know my cholesterol is a bit high, but I've got a very good HDL. Uh, you have to look at the LDL cholesterol. So a good HDL does not make up for a bad LDL cholesterol. Yeah. And my, and my next question, I just want to um, jump in and, and ask you, there's been a lot of talk lately about, um, you know, carbohydrates and processed carbohydrates causing inflammation and that sure. in turn causing cholesterol. Can you um, shed uh, your expertise on that? Yes, no, it's sort of a pleasure. So we know that we're in the midst of a obesity pandemic. I mean, if you look around the world, just obesity is going mad. And one of the concerns is what we mainly eat is carbohydrates. So 70% of our intake is carbohydrates. So many people are advising cut the carbs, the so-called banting diets and that sort of thing. And because if you cut your carbohydrates, because it's mainly what we eat, your calorie intake is going to be less. What I disagree with in terms of the so-called banting diets is they say, well, cut the car. If you want to lose weight and you cut your carbohydrates you, you, because your calorie intake is going to be less, that's good. But what many people are advising is 
make a lot of fats, saturated fats, uh, because that will satisfy you and then you won't feel like eating more carbohydrates. That's extremely bad. So I advise what we call a modified venting diet. If you're trying to lose weight, cut your carbohydrates because that's a big calorie source, but replace the carbohydrates with the good fats, which is the monounsaturates and the polyunsaturates. For example, coconut oil. I mean, there's all these fancy restaurants and they, you know, everyone says coconut oil is healthy for you. Coconut oil is a saturated fat. That's one of the worst fats. So coconut oil raises bad or LDL cholesterol. So it should not be part of a healthy diet. What's much better are the monounsaturates. So those are the nuts, avocado oil, um, uh, fishes. Fish uh, is extremely good for you. Um, rather than the saturated fats. So importantly, as uh, is, is reducing carbohydrates does assist with weight loss. I mean, the other thing that is very trendy at the moment is this intermittent fasting that many people are taking. They say, I'm not going to eat for two days and then I'm going to eat. The bottom line is recent studies have shown it's all about total, total calorie intake. So if you don't, if you fast and don't eat for a day and then make up for it in the next few days, you're not going to lose any weight. So the bottom line is if you, if you cut your calories either on a daily basis or you do intermittent fasting, it's what, put, what you put in your mouth that will determine how much weight you're going to lose. You can do it with intermittent fasting if you want to, but more important is total calorie intake. We need to reduce our total calories and it's extremely important to uh, obtain an ideal body weight. The lipid we haven't been talking about is triglycerides. So triglycerides is the way we store energy. So uh, obesity is basically excess triglycerides. So we're filling up all the fat stores that we have around our abdomen, around our buttocks is too much triglycerides. During times of starvation, we break down those triglycerides to form energy. Now, triglycerides are really because we're eating too much, too many carbohydrates, too much food in general, and we're storing it as excess fat. So this whole banting diet and trying to reduce the carbohydrates is to try and reduce the triglycerides, which it does do. But if, for example, a patient with inherited cholesterol, even if they stick very strictly to a diet, will not lower their cholesterol. So uh, the diets, the banting type of diets, will not necessary. They will reduce the triglycerides, but they're not going to reduce the cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol level. In fact, they might even raise it if, if you're. And we, I've seen several patients who have gone on to these uh, bad banting diets, and their cholesterols have gone off the scale. So you need to be careful with the diet. So if you're going to bent and cut the carbohydrates, make sure you replace the fats with good fats, not with the bad fats. And uh, pertaining to the intermittent fasting, um, people say that if you um, have an extended period, say 16 hours without uh, eating, that your insulin levels drop and that uh, insulin is a fat producing hormone and also that um, that re reduces your inflammation and obesity is an inflammatory condition. Can you talk a little bit to those two? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's probably, so if you fast for an extended period, sort of, you know, as you say, more than 24 hours, 
what you do is you build up what we call ketones because you don't then have carbs, you start breaking down fat, which is forms ketones, and that suppresses your appetite. So that's why sometimes intermittent fasting uh, works quite well because you you know you don't feel and that craving to eat as much. One of the problems is ketones does cause uh, uh, on your breath it gives you a bit of halitosis, which some people don't like. But as I said, it's all about, if you think about the way we used to live as hunter-gatherers, we would shoot an animal, we'd have a big meal, and then we wouldn't eat for, you know, days on end. So intermittent fasting is not new. That's the way, in terms of the human race, is how we used to live. Now we have fridges and our parents say we have to eat three meals a day. We shouldn't, that shouldn't be advised. We should eat when we're hungry. There is no reason to have to have meals three times a day you should only eat in, in terms of what you need so the whole story about inflammation is there's no doubt that obesity when there's too much lipid or triglycerides around the abdomen um, fat is a, an inflammatory condition so many people are saying inflammation is the cause of atherosclerosis my patients with inherited cholesterol who are slim we can measure a thing called C-reactive protein. Which is interesting, a lot of people say we should be measuring C-reactive protein because it, it's a marker of how much inflammation is in the body. Now, interestingly, C-reactive protein correlates extremely well with body mass. So the fatter you are, the higher your C-reactive protein is going to be. And the way to lower C-reactive protein is not with a medication, it's to lose weight and exercise. That's the way we get C-reactive protein down. So in my opinion, it's like the fuel in the fire. The fuel, the, the coal is the cholesterol. The fire is the inflammation is secondary. If we can get rid of the cholesterol lower, you will reduce the inflammation. But the way to reduce the amount of inflammation is healthy eating, and obtaining an ideal body weight and exercising on a regular basis. That's the way to reduce the amount of inflammation within the body. And can you talk a little bit um, around gut health? Um, I'm a big believer in, in having a healthy microbiome in order to be able to take the nutrients out of your food uh, and, and uh, also to make sure that uh, you're not craving the wrong foods. Can do you have a, a, a perspective on that? Sure. So not really my area of expertise, but I mean, there's a lot of, of there's a lot of new evidence that your your gut microbiome is extremely uh, important. And as you know, one of our big problems is that we tend to overuse. You know, you get a bit of a sniff, uh, sniffles, and and your general practitioner gives you antibiotics, which destroy the normal gut microbiome and replace it with abnormal. So, I think most importantly, if you want a good gut microbiome, um, it's important what affects your gut microbiome is what you put in your mouth, your type of eating. So once again, healthy eating, eating, eating the right type of foods, the correct type of fatty acids, the monos, the polyunsaturates, will mean that you have a healthy gut microbiome rather than an unhealthy micro, micro, microbiome. So I think it's becoming extremely important as well. Yeah. And, and Derek, your take on um, the difference between a plant-based diet and, an, and a um, more, more animal um, product produced? Oh, yeah. So uh, I think basically humans uh, are 
based on, in both plants and animals. It's a question of plants are in general healthier for you, but I don't think we all have to be strict vegetarians if we want to sort of help, help, eat healthily. And what I can tell you, if you happen to happen to have familial hypercholesterolemia and you happen, happen to be a strict vegetarian or a vegan, you're still going to get atherosclerosis and coronary artery disease because it's the cholesterol in the system. But if you talk about a healthy diet, we should be eating mainly a plant-based diet. I do believe we can have uh, meat, uh, but I would recommend the healthier meats, which is mainly fish is the most healthy for you. Um, the white meats, such as chicken and any of the red meats, we should be removing the fat before we cook it. So one of the problems is everyone says, but I cut the fat off the meat. You need to, once it's on the plate, that is no good. The fat needs to be removed before you cook the food. So from chicken, from meat, you have to remove the fat before it's cooked. But I do believe there's still a place for, you know, I'm, uh, I don't think we all have to become vegetarians. I do think uh, humans are able to adjust and do need, there are lots of healthy things in, in, in meat, for example. There's, they're a very good source of monounsaturated fats, et cetera. But in moderation, so I think in my opinion, anything in moderation is, is, is fine. The same goes with alcohol. In moderation, Sort of a, a, a glass a day is good for your HDL, it raises HDL, but we shouldn't be having a bottle a day because that's a lot of calories, it will push up our triglycerides, so excess alcohol is not good, enough, good for us, but in moderation, I think it's also a good thing. Moderation, uh, I've just written a book called The Sweet Spot, and it's all about finding that middle ground in everything, so right. I'm a proponent of that. Um, right. So, and, and, and just to ask you, what do you think the cause of uh, the obesity epidemic is, other than the fact that we eat too much um, and we have fridges and it's easy to eat too much, but uh, do you think there's a more complex cause than that? Um, if you have a look, I mean, I was at a diabetes meeting probably about 10 years ago, and one of the speakers showed the prevalence of diabetes over the last 200 years. It, it showed it was increasing and then it dropped and then it went up again and dropped and now it's just taking off the scale. And he said, what happened at those two time points? And that, that was World War I and World War II. And it wasn't because everybody was dying. It was because there was famine and there wasn't food. Yeah. The bottom line is we eat too much uh, and we don't exercise nearly as much as we used to. We'd rather wait for an escalator or the lift rather than walking up a flight of stairs. So the bottom line is that we need to, unfortunately exercise per se is not sufficient. If you need to lose weight, you need to eat healthily as well as it. You've got to do a hell of a lot of exercise to make up for excess calorie intake. So the most important, that old story about you can't leave the table until you've eaten everything on your plate, I think needs to change. You need to eat when you're hungry. We need to reduce our portion size. And the obesity epidemic is mainly because of easy availability of foods. And unfortunately, the fast foods are tasty, they're quick, they're easy, they're cheap. And that's a big problem. So that's a, a big issue. Similarly, that there's too much sugar. I mean, we are starting to cut down on the sugary drinks and that sort of thing. But those are what taste nuts and, and people are just eating too much. So we need to 
restrict watch what we eat and it's all about a healthy as you say trying to get to that sweet sweet spot it doesn't mean you can never you know have a dessert never have sugar for example but anything in moderation and obtaining i think an ideal healthy body weight is probably the most important if we could do that we would reverse the uh, obesity and most importantly type 2 diabetes if you look at the rise in obesity, type 2 diabetes, is following that rise. So type 2 diabetes is a result of the obesity epidemic. If we can reverse that, we will get rid of type 2 diabetes. And just an example is if you put primates in, like you go down to the Johannesburg Zoo, you put monkeys into a cage, they get diabetes because you're restricting their movement and you feed them too much. So we're exactly the same as primates. We're in exactly the same situation. We don't exercise as much as we used to. We get into our cars, we drive around, we go up escalators, and we eat too much. So throughout the primate world, we need to go back to our old, the way we used to live, eat less frequently, uh, intermittently. We don't have to have three meals a day. We need to exercise more frequently. And, and what do you think about stress and the effects of stress on, uh, on weight and obesity and also on the type of diet we land up craving to eat? Craving. So, yeah, that's, you know, the problem with stress, it's not like we can't do a blood test like we can for cholesterol or for a glucose measurement. We can't take a blood pressure. We have a blood pressure machine that can do that. Stress, you can't really measure. But there's no doubt stress is a very important factor. In fact, when they did um, a study, um, they called the Interheart study several years ago, seeing why people had had heart attacks. They looked at about 30,000 people around the world that had had a heart attack and said, what are the factors that precipitated the heart attack? Number one was cholesterol, but stress was a very big uh, component. Now, the problem is if you've just had a heart attack, you're going to be stressed because you're thinking about your future, your family, et cetera. But there's no doubt if you if people coming in with heart attacks, their first heart attack, often stress has precipitated the event. So stress, I think, is an extremely important factor. And it's also something that we've got to look at quite carefully. And that's why addressing stress, um, sleeping, re uh, re having a really healthy sleep pattern is also extremely important in terms of overall cardiovascular health. And um, and um, co um, uh, cortisol and its yeah. effect on, uh, on weight gain. Can you talk to yeah. that? Yeah, so cortisol is a stress hormone. Unfortunately, we need cortisol. I mean, basically, it's the fight and flight. If you know, if 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 you're in a situation where you need to flee, your cortisol sort of go off the stage. So one of the problems with ongoing stress is that they say maybe we're getting what we call adrenal burnout. Our adrenal glands, which make cortisone, are working so hard, they eventually burn out. The evidence to show that is actually not great. Uh, our adrenal glands have got a remarkable reserve. Um, if they do burn out, it's a condition called Addison's disease. But in fact, that is not uh, the cause of the, 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 the obesity uh, overweight epidemic at all. Cortisol is a stress hormone. It is important. It's, it's there when we need it. Uh, the other way around, taking extra, you know, if you found to have a low cortisone, they say, well, must we, we must give you cortisone. That's also not good for you. Excess cortisone, which we often need to use for conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera, 
tends to worsen the obesity, tends to make you put on weight. So cortisone is bad when it's too high, when there's too much of it, and also when it's too low. But I do not think sort of adrenal burnout or, or, or is really the cause of the current um, uh, obesity um, uh, epidemic around the world. Although um, potentially um, cortisol causes you to crave carbohydrates because of the liver's yeah. need for carbohydrates. Yeah. To yeah. So that excess stress would push up cortisone. The cortisone may then get you to crave these carbohydrates, sugar things rather, and that causes worse the epidemic. So it's a vicious circle. So that's why you say in terms of um, healthy overall health, it's extremely important to look at all those factors, your weight, your stress levels, to sleep regularly. That's the whole package deal, as you would say, in terms of overall health. Yeah. And um, Derek, I'd love to ask you, a lot of people, I know it's slightly off the topic of um, 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 cholesterol, but a lot of people are taking hormones to supplement uh, their well-being and to support their well-being. Can you um, talk a little bit to that? Uh, what is your opinion about hormone yeah, replacement? I mean, so male hormones, female hormones. Yeah, so it's it's difficult. I mean, if you look first of all at females, females go through the menopause. So you know, usually in the at around about the age of fifty, the ovaries pack up and their hormone levels go very down. So in the old days, all women were put on hormone replacement therapy, and then it was found that there was some disadvantages of hormone replacement therapy because it increased your risk of breast cancer, and it was associated with more cardiovascular disease. So the pendulum totally swung to saying no woman should ever be on hormone replacement. Now we've realized that for about five to 10 years around the menopause, hormone replacement therapy is important provided you don't have other cardiovascular risk factors. So once again, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't be overweight, you should have a good cholesterol and, and blood pressure and their hormone replacement in women is of benefit, it probably uh, improves the cardiovascular health. Men don't go through a true equivalent of a, a menopause. We have a slow decrease in our male hormones sort of over time. So we don't have a sudden change like they do in women. But there's the big question is, should men be, be replacing testosterone at a, at, at a later age? That's still very controversial whether the healthy men should be replacing. No doubt, if you have a cause for a very, very low testosterone level, you've had a pituitary surgery or you know something like that, you've um, had to uh, have testicular surgery and you've got an extremely low testosterone, there it's probably worth replacing. But in general, once again, middle-aged men sort of say, I'm not, I'm lost out of energy. You measure their testosterone and it's low. You have to look at their weight. So all hormones, male hormones, female hormones, are taken up by fat tissue. So if you're overweight and you have a low testosterone, the way to raise the testosterone is not to give it administered, not to take testosterone, is to lose weight. If you reduce your fat mass, you'd find your testosterone level would go up. And the same applies to women. So what happens is fat tissue is like a sump. It takes up your hormones and stores them. And then they're not within the circulation doing the good things they should be doing. 
So once again, my, in my opinion is rather than replacing hormones, it's to live healthily and if you're overweight, to lose that weight. And what about being underweight? Um, you know, there's so much uh, emphasis nowadays on healthy living and so on. There are some people that over-exercise, and I wanted to ask sure. you about that, and some people that are underweight. Sure. And I yeah, so it's a very important question. It's probably they would say a sort of U-shaped curve, but unfortunately there are some confounders. So mortality is high if you're very underweight, but unfortunately that's in the population as a whole. So many people that are very underlined may have an underlying occult cancer that they're unaware of. That's why they're underweight. Um, in general, uh, the lower the weight, you're better, but as you say, you can be too low. So there are some negatives of being extremely underweight or having anorexia, etc. And most importantly in women is bone health because they would get osteoporosis, soft bones, and that sort of a risk. But in general, uh, rather underweight than overweight. Um, the evidence is not very strong that being, uh, you know, having a very low weight if there's not an, un, an, an underlying cause like a malignancy, et cetera, is bad for your health, except for bone health. For bone health, it's extremely important uh, for women. So women that are very slim, very thin, very light framed, have an increased risk of osteoporosis. Uh, so in them, they need to be careful about their bones. And uh, um, although, uh, you know, if we look at the mental state some people are nowadays pretty orthorexic in terms of they're living with such rigid rules around eating and exercising and and i think you know there's not a sweet spot space in sure. some of those that has to be unhealthy um i know correct i think that you know you've got to avoid the extremes i mean definitely we need to be sort of somewhere in the middle what is the absolute ideal body weight? I mean, people talk about a BMI between 20 and 25. So if you're under that and extremely low, as you said, I, I think it's just as bad to go to the other extreme and never eat at all. And, you know, have these, you know, look totally anorexic. Looks unhealthy as well, because, you know, often uh, you're more wrinkly if you've got absolutely no fat tissue at all. So you've got to be somewhere in the middle. It's, it's, I think that sweet spot is, is the best for all of us. So as you say, we shouldn't go to the total other extremes. The same applies to exercise. I talk about exercise in moderation. I don't think it's a good thing to go and run a marathon every single day. You know, there's, there's extreme um, overexertion. I don't think it's also good um, in terms of physical health. There's somewhere in the middle that's probably the best for all of us. Mm. Yeah, the downsides to um, you know over exercising in as you get slightly older. Can you can you talk about that and the effects on the cardiovascular system? System. Well, you know, I mean, we have this. I mean, I used to run it in my old days, the old comrades marathon. I think that's just too far. Um, but I, I think the sort of uh, be, because that is extremely stressed, and that's ninety percent mental. I think it's a long way to run. But in terms of regular exercise on a daily basis, I think that's an extremely good thing. So the extreme sports um, can be unhealthy. And there's some evidence now that really the extreme, the really extreme sports where people are doing, overdoing exercise and that sort of thing is actually associated with a slightly increased cardiovascular risk compared to that sweet spot somewhere in the middle. So as I said, I think in moderation is where we need to go. Yeah.
And I believe you were one of the youngest comrades runners ever. <laughs> <laughs> In the good old days, yeah. Um, so, so really, I'm I'm a big proponent for people trying to understand and know their own body and and take the science and and use it to really understand themselves and their own bodies better, and you know not say everybody should bent or everybody should do intermittent fasting, but find out what works for you in your life and with your body and your energy requirements. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I I think what you've said is very clear having the right weight and, and the right diet and the right amount of exercise is absolutely paramount. But there's quite a wide spectrum of how you can incorporate that into your own specific existence. Yeah, quite correct. But just with that one provisor, just in our country, and that's as we discussed earlier, cholesterol, doing all those right things, if you happen to have inherited cholesterol, all those right things are not going to help you. So that's in a very important condition to think about. And that's why when you have your annual physical or your annual medical checkup, if you haven't had a cholesterol measured, that's an important thing to have measured. So that was going to be my next question is how often should we measure it? So you say annually. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, if it's totally normal, then you can probably do it less sort of frequently. But definitely, if you have a cholesterol problem um, and you're requiring medication or you're trying to correct your cholesterol with healthy diet and exercise, I would recommend sort of on an annual basis, you should sort of have your cholesterol sort of checked. Yeah. Um, if it's totally normal and you're lucky to have a very low cholesterol, probably every five years or so would be adequate, you know, if you've done it as a young. But, but if you've got inherited cholesterol, it's going to be high from the day you're born. So um, the, that's another important clue. If you've ever if you find a patient to have a high cholesterol and you ask on history, has it ever been measured before and it was previously normal, but was low, then you know that high cholesterol is dietary induced. Because if you've got inherited cholesterol, you're born with a cholesterol of 10 and it's going to stay that way your whole life unless you take medication, if that makes sense. So very important is to ask about, have you had your cholesterol measured before? What was the level? And if it's gone up, then it's the dietary and the lifestyle that is the cause of the increase in the cholesterol rather than being a genetic uh, sort of problem. And are there other tests that should be done annually as well or, or you know, roundabout? Um, I think in terms of general health, I mean, you know, I don't believe in these total body scans and all that sort of things, but definitely in terms of males, um, one of our biggest cancers, prostate cancer. So a, a PSA, it's an easy blood test, should be done in males. Women, uh, they always, you know, all women are always worried about their breasts and go for their, you know, their, their, their mammograms. Just remember, more women die from cardiovascular disease than from breast cancer. So they've also got to think about checking their cholesterol levels, but definitely um, mammograms on a regular basis. And then bone health is important. So Definitely from the menopause, from about the age of 50, uh, checking your bones is extremely important. Unfortunately, for all the other things, the other cancer is, a, you know, the big C for all of us. Many of them, there's no blood test available. So it's just, uh, unfortunately, it's just picked up sort of incidentally. So there's no real way of, 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 of checking for it um, on a sort of regular basis. But those in a male, a PSA, in a woman, mammograms or at least examining your own breasts, I think is extremely important uh, for, for 
optimal health. And and then also noticing if there's a change in your body, you sure, know, in your correct. Sure. And dealing with that fast should it occur. Sure, sure. So unexplained weight loss and all those sort of things. When you when you haven't changed your diet and you're losing weight, or change in bowel habits, for example, is extremely important because you know second to breast cancer, bowel cancer is also extremely important. So you know we've got to look out for these things. You mustn't. Your your body is an amazing um, organism, you know, and there's always warning warning signs. So you mustn't ignore warning signs. Don't ignore chest pain, change in dietary and change in bowel habits, etc. You know, we've got a very, our bodies are amazing. They will always tell us something's not right and we must listen to our bodies. I love what you say about our bodies are amazing because that's just so close to my heart. I do believe that the body is a healing machine. It wants to be healthy. It tends towards health. If we could just support its its ability to find its way to health, um, then... Sure. Uh, you know, our health would be so much better. And so many people are taking so many medications that I think maybe are not helping them. Um, so um, I've heard very clearly what you've said about statins or whatever medication you are prescribed for your cholesterol. Um, and I have one more question around uh, taking medication for cholesterol. Can a high cholesterol correct itself? So often people ask me that. You know, I've been on statins for a year or two. Can I go off them now? My cholesterol is now normal. Can I go off them? What's your opinion on that? Can you yeah. help us? So it really depends what the cause of the high cholesterol was. So if it was the dietary or lifestyle-induced high cholesterol, and if somebody has then, if they were very overweight and they've lost weight, they've changed their lifestyle, they've changed their eating habit, and their cholesterol is totally normal, in that sort of patient, you could then withdraw the statin see what their cholesterol does. But in a patient with inherited cholesterol, as I said, even if they, if they, they, they require lifelong therapy. So usually the decision to go on to a cholesterol medication is made based on all those things, but you can, if you've drastically changed your lifestyle, the most important is if you do decide to stop the medication is to follow up with a cholesterol measurement three to six months later, and make sure that it's staying low. If it shoots up again, despite your lifestyle change, you may then have to go back onto medication uh, because it's definitely life-saving. Uh, the statins have saved many, many people's lives worldwide or extended their lives. I wouldn't say it saved their lives, but it's extended out their, their lives, you know? So, I mean, all of us, I mean, we want to live as long as, as, as possible, but you want to live also healthily. Um, you know, that's the, the most important. So it's all, all about quality of life, I feel. Yeah. Can't save your life when none of us are getting out of here alive, but it's <laughs> sure. enabling you to have a healthier life. And um, Derek, have you got a nugget or two that you'd love to um, share with us to leave with the listeners? Uh, I know you've given lots of nuggets, but one. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I just think, uh, as you say, I think our bodies are amazing organisms that we should listen to them. And uh, I think if we can just adjust and live a, a healthier lifestyle, uh, it's, it's, that's the most important. We mustn't abuse our bodies. I mean, they, they're good for us and we just must avoid uh, abusing them. And if we look after our bodies, I think uh, not only physically, but also mentally, 
would live to a you know reasonable right life ripe old age you know the three score and 10 70 which i'm sort of now rapidly approaching is now fairly young for many people but it's all about quality of life and and i think we just need to look at all those factors um, as you said the stress the regular exercise healthy eating if we want to live healthy and regularly it's no good being allowed for a long time if you can hardly do anything with that time. Sure, sure. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much. And I know you've written countless papers, over 100 published articles. You are um, a really a, an expert in this subject. And we should honestly take note of what you say, because there's so much information out there in the media, uh, which is extremely confusing as a lay person. Um, and difficult to interpret. There's so much conspiracy theorism around taking statins and the story about cholesterol. So it really is a treat to have a complete expert in the subject to share this absolute science with us so that we can make informed decisions for ourselves. Thank you for your time and uh, for all your insight. And uh, I wish you all the very best with your retirement. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Keep sharing insights with the world because we need you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. No problem at all. Pleasure. Thank Keep you. well. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Route to Wellbeing. We hope that this has been astonishingly useful for you and we invite you to share it with other people in your network who you think could benefit from this conversation. We would love for you to share the information because, hey, we all need help in this day and age. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.